Next time you're driving through Redwood City, be sure and stop by one of Embark's newest locations at 1870 Broadway. Embark, the Bay Area's friendliest dispensaries, seven locations in NorCal. Mention this ad for an additional 10% off. Welcome back for episode five of Smoke and Bridges. We got a special one for you. We got a multiple time world champ, the one of the greatest minds in solventless at the moment, the great Mark from Kalia. Mark, how are you? I'm doing good. Plug it along. What's going on, everyone? Oh man, we're so happy to have you here. Uh, it is a wild time in hash, uh, and you know you've lived. Uh, this California legalization adventure a bit while floating on top of the market. Thank God you've had uh, you've had some holes in the boat that were a little wild. <laughs> we're doggy paddling, ch- chugging away, <laughs> chugging away. Never miss port. Yes, sir. Uh, <laughs> yes, sir. Just barely. <laughs> uh, oh yeah. Uh, but no, for those uh, for those who aren't as familiar with the hash game, uh, hash uh, makes still makes up a decent chunk of sales in California. Um, people love hash outside of America. It's even more predominantly used. Uh, and for many years, uh, Mark and the team at Kalia have, uh, been right at the top of the heap, uh, producing some of the finest flavors in all the lands. Uh, and so what was, uh, Mark, why don't you kind of summarize for the listener, like what is the solventless hash game like in this moment? Um, right now, we are going through a transition period. While uh, for the longest time, I think um, the traditional market has reigned supreme when it comes to quality. Um, a lot of people that have been around the market for that uh, a long time, you know, they're looking to transition into the rec game. And uh, the rec market is a lot harder than just making hash in your backyard and uh, putting it out to the market. Uh, it requires a lot of background knowledge when it comes to logistics, um, HR, distribution, accounting, and other types of facets of what makes up a total business. So uh, for us, it's been a lot of growing pains kind of uh, navigating our way through those types of hoops, but uh, we're kind of seeing other people take that same trend and uh, finally start bringing some heat to the rec side. What, uh, you know, you obviously, uh, you know, so elaborate for us. So just so like uh, folks understand how long you've been in the mix. Uh, you, you know, you're a young guy, but how long ago did you start making hash? Um, I've been making hash now for about 11 years. And really kind of how it started out is, uh, you know, going up through high school, um, I was a big fan of The Weed Report, Dave Warden and Nuggetry, uh, Chubbs. And these guys were putting out YouTube videos, uh, really spreading education on quality before a lot of people um, or even on those types of channels. And so I was kind of already infatuated with cannabis and I was lucky enough to meet um, some guys in high school whose dad was uh, Ken Estes of Ken's Granddaddy Purple. And so uh, they luckily put me under their wing and I was quickly kind of thrown into a different spectrum of the industry. And I took some of that knowledge to rollitup.com. And so like rollitup.com and Toke City were kind of uh, the big places for knowledge back in the day. Some of the best breeders in the industry, best growers and extractors would all come and um, discuss and really share knowledge. It was a really cool time. And uh, I saw Matt Rice had a th- uh, thread there, and that's kind of what 
uh, grew my love for um, ice water hash. He was explaining his terminology of ice wax, which him and Nicotee, I would say, kind of pioneered that. Uh, they took kind of what Mila and BC Bubble Man were doing back in like late 60s, early 70s, and evolutionized it by opening up the surface area. Um, Matt Rise's technique was microplaning, and Nicotee would do more of like a sift, like a powdered sugar sifter. And so uh, I ended up linking up with Matt pretty early on, and uh, he showed me the ways of microplane and hash and uh, making BHO as well. And uh, really, nobody really understood what microplane their solventless hash was or ice wax back in the day, so there wasn't a big demand of it. Uh, some of the best hash in the game would just sit on the shelf for $40 a gram while people would go and run towards shatter, which was so popular. So we would all make some shatter back in the day, and really it started at uh, CCA, Collective Conscious Apothecary in Hopland. That's a really magical place. Uh, it's kind of the birthplace, in my um, opinion, of uh, solventless in NorCal. And so uh, basically this was a congregation led by John Oliver, who does higher ground cannabis right now, and uh, also Django from MTG um, Seeds, rest in peace. Uh, they ended up splitting up. But uh, they formed the, one of the first dab bars in California. And a lot of the biggest breeders, um, again, mentioning Subcool and uh, Bodie, a few others, aficionado, they would all come to the dab bar and hang out. And you'd get Frenchie and Matt Rise and um, a bunch of different hash makers. I mean, back then, Dorian from Beasel was running the dab bar. Yeah. You know, and so it was just a really cool place to be around. And that was back before, you know, a lot of the competitions and uh, the egos and money and stuff was brought in and stuff. So everybody was really just about learning and pushing the techniques forward and smoking and having fun. And I cherish those memories. Uh, those are some good times. So I knew I wanted to be in the hash game. And uh, <laughs> once I graduated from high school, I used to do um, some commercial fishing up in Alaska. And so I, I was able to stack some money from them. And once I graduated high school, I took a little semester at the JC to figure my shit out. And uh, that's when I drew up the idea for my first extraction brand. It was called Medicine Man Extracts with my buddy Harrison, who does hash engineers now, um, who I think him and Splash Solventless won Ego Clash last year. And so uh, that's what's kind of the start of our journey, just doing shatter, a little solventless on the size. But it wasn't until solventless mine on Instagram and some people started really um, putting out the technique behind rosin and stuff that solventless even started getting any demand. And that was like 2015-ish. Was it crazy to see, like, since that moment, like, uh, and a combination of rosin tech getting out and raw garden kind of crashing the price, uh, like, to see the BHO market kind of eat itself to the point where, like, former Emerald Cup champs say, like, it's not even worth it for them, like, and that blows my mind. Yeah, it's sad. Um, you know, the hardest part in this industry, in my personal opinion, is education. And, you know, a hydrocarbon extract, when done correctly, can be extremely clean, cleaner than a lot of rosin that's on the market because of how much waxes and lipids are present. But CRC and, um, you know, that kind of really ruined the BHO because there's no good scale to grade cannabis right now. And it's very subjective in a lot of ways. And so a lot of people rule by aesthetics. And when B, um, CRC came in, it was taking like trim run and darker type product and lightening it up to make it look like some indoor style inputs. And so people couldn't discern from what was quality and what's not. And so it caused this mass confusion and it really hurt the market um, in that side. But at the same time, 
uh, we were going through this evolution of dabbing. When uh, rosin was really becoming prevalent, I mean, we were going through carb caps and coming from just like putting a cap on top of the nail to directional flow and hover caps and stuff. So the whole experience was kind of changing at the same time. Is it, you know, you were kind of uh, already in the mix per se uh, when the transition uh, of the marketplace from BHO to Solventless like hit full steam and then you started seeing company after company after company after company pop up. What was it like, you know, as someone who had their footing and already had, you know, a decent trophy shelf, uh, and then what was it like when you saw these entities pop up talking about how they were essentially like planning on, you know, they'd write a press release that they were preparing to like make a million grams of mids this year and they're very excited about it. Like stuff like that. Like what do you think as like a boutique operator with this footing on the ground, what's like, you know, you saw what happened on the other side of the fence with BHO. Thankfully that never ended up happening and solvents in the same. Maybe the price dipped a little pinch pinch as like there was more affordable and decent stuff, blah blah blah. But it never dropped like BHO did. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like so are you and in the earliest phases of this transition to like everyone decides to open a solventless company, are you think are you kind of concerned, are we about to get BHO'd? Um a little bit. The difference is is Again, to going back to the education is every week people like 710 Labs, Rosentech, and other companies, they put out amazing education in the market to help people understand the differentiation in quality. People uh, now more than ever are starting to wake up to the differences between trim run solventless and high-grade um, rosin. And so I think there's a common theory out there. You're either at the top or the bottom, the middle gets squished. And so for us, it's really about focusing on the consumer experience. And I think people that focus on consumer experience and quality, I think they'll be good. Um, do you think in this moment, the ha per capita, the quality of solventless right now is higher or lower than it was when it was a bit more boutique like five years ago um, as a whole market as a whole I'd say as a whole it's better because the production's gotten bigger and that's something when you think about like a cup entry batches or even some of these um, really well-known batches on Instagram they're only 500 or a thousand grams and some of the bigger cats eat up a lot of that um, product. So it doesn't really ever make it to the market and it's never really a reality. So the common person or somebody that's just a fan on Instagram can't really walk up and ever taste some of those flavors. And so what I'll say, even on both sides from the traditional and the rec market, people's production has gotten bigger. Their understanding of what quality genetics and the relationships with the farmers have gotten better. And that's overall, I would say, led to more availability of quality flavors on the market. Amen. On the subject of uh, availability of quality flavors, how much of your time do you spend just trying to find that next thing that's not papaya or GMO that dumps? Um, that is pretty much uh, the majority of what my time is spent now. Um, <laughs> doing, uh, <laughs> I did not think about it. It's like, you know, we started out in the beginning um, out of Oakland in a tiny little shop off of Hagenberger, if people know, right by the airport there. And uh, green, the green zone. Yes, sir. And, uh, oh, you know, we were kind of struggling at first to just kind of scrape by people that we didn't have a lot of renown and stuff like that. And, uh, one of my partners, his name's Joe. Uh, he's a Marine and he's newer into cannabis. And I came to him and I said, hey, we need to 
put the majority of our money into genetics. And he had no idea. He was like, what do you mean? And I said, it may not make sense now, but it's going to pay dividends in the future because at the end of the day, differentiate, flavor differentiation is going to be one of the only things that matters. I think the technique is people leave different companies and start their own and then maybe go to others. Uh, techniques are going to get out there. Knowledge is going to spread. And I think one of the only things that are really going to be able to split the hairs between us and the next guy is going to be unique flavors. So we um, started a little breeding project a few years ago um, with Dancing Dog Ranch up there in Mendocino. It's a women-ran uh uh, excuse me, it's a women-ran ranch out off of McNabb Ranch Road, um, right past Hopland. And uh, the really, really cool organic regenerative farm. And uh, at the beginning, they understood our vision behind genetics. So we had a little breeding pen out there, and we've been doing some crosses, just in-house stuff. We don't really plan on releasing the seeds, but uh, just stuff we can try to introduce to the market. Tropic Sorbet was our first iteration of that, which is uh, ZT Wilson crossed on the Champaya. I was just about to say, like, um, if you had to pick a strain that has a chance of being, like, the next big one, my pick would be Champaya. Like, I think Champaya is awesome. Like, I have it's, – it's so good. It's, like, such a special flavor profile. Uh, symbiotic genetics absolutely knocked it out the park on that one. But if you had to pick something that you, like, had to, had to guess, like, that you think is going to be the next big dog, what do you think it is? Here's some Champagne. This is some Champagne. Ooh, I believe, too. Um – you know, I think we're going to see – I think it's going to be kind of a race between some sh- – you know, because people have tasted the white thorn rose now and it's gotten out there and people really – But not at scale. A hundred percent. But uh, my point being is competitors and p- people just like me, when I go taste a unique flavor, I taste the popcorn. Like, I wanted to put – like I wanted to put white thorn th- rose on a thing last year that I'll remain anonymous about. And the person I was working with on the thing was just like, it's just not out there enough. Like we can't put it on there because nobody can smoke it. And that was like, well, you know, I, was, I took it to heart. Like, because I get smoked, because I was like a Emerald Cup solventless judge. So I got to see the rosin. I got to see the hash. I'm just like, wow. You know what I mean? <laughs> but I totally understand the idea that, like, uh, accessibility has to be part of what dictates hype, right? Because it can only, like, what's the point of, like, getting super excited about something in some dude's closet in Delaware, even if it's the best weed ever and nobody's ever going to see it, you know? 100%. That's uh, one thing I'll touch on that we are pr- pretty proud of about our cup entries is every cup entry we put out there was production batches that we put into the market. You know, uh, stuff that, like the ice cream cake, that one, or um, the fruit stripe were multi-thousand gram batches that um, were pretty widely available. And so people really got to see what the judges were seeing. And I thought that was pretty cool because, like you said, uh a lot of that stuff becomes almost mythological because it's so unobtainable. So nobody really knows if it's quality or not. And so uh, for me, like, you know, going back to that flavor thing, uh, when we talk about genetics, part of the reason, you know, so many people try to keep uh, the lineage as close to their chest is because as soon as I release yeah. like, the lineage between the tropics or bay, people want to go make it. If they can't yeah. get it themselves, yeah. they try to go get it. So same thing like a white thorn rose. If people can't go get that cut, they're going to try to find flavor profiles in that chemo type that will be competitive and stand out. What's the flavor you wished had washed the most? Like the one that was just so special. Like it was the craziest hash, but it was just like a barely anything on the bottom of the bag. Man, that has probably got to be a toss-up. Uh, it's hardcore hard- OG, I bet's up there. I was gonna say there's a few, there's a few grails up there. Hardcore OG, shout out West Coast Care for hooking us up uh, with some amazing indoor hardcore OG that ended up washing. It was like nothing. two grams of it, and I got to see one. I was like, oh my god, yeah. this is the grade. Back when I saw it back <laughs> then, that was like my first time visiting Mark at his office, and I was just like, oh my god, 
this is the greatest OG Kush rosin of all time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was a special batch. And uh, I was bummed it didn't yield more. Honestly, that we had a crazy Skittles cross from Anna that we washed, honestly, over a year ago as a test batch and just something she was testing out. And it was insane. Uh, orange sherbet, um, just awesome type of flavor profile. But <laughs> it washed like 1%. Yeah, like 1%. And not like orange, what you think of with tangy and everything, which is like musky and hazy and stuff, but really just like uh, Baskin Robbins, like that orange type of sherbet. You know, it was awesome. Uh, that one was really special. Probably some stuff from Ted. Old Alien Labs have tossed us a few special flavors that I've unfortunately had to give them the call on and say, hey, uh, these didn't make the cut as far as yield, but uh, we sure did enjoy smoking them. <laughs> Amen. Do you think part of uh, the headaches you guys have had post-2020, like so many other cannabis businesses, uh, were just because you're so dope? You know what I mean? Everyone knows, oh, it's the best hash. Let's go rob them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, honestly, uh, especially being out in the East Bay, uh, nobody's really immune to that. I think a lot of big companies we've seen um, have gotten affected by that type of stuff. And I think for us, uh, it's just a hope for change. You know, one thing about being into the going into the rec market, I was really um, excited about was having those types of protections, such as insurance and different types of securities. And um, it's been a little bit of a letdown so far. You know, they, they are, you know uh, we got hit pretty hard a they, few. They years normalized ago. Yeah. the taxes. It's just we're still waiting for the police to show up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Takes a couple hours sometimes in the right area, but you know they get there once in a while. They write the report, I guess. But uh, and on the flip side too, the insurance companies. Uh, were just an animal to deal with. I didn't understand 100% coming from the traditional market what it would be like to try to um, get losses back and try to have some type of reconciliation from them. But uh, we took a pretty heavy loss that first time a couple years ago, um, and uh, they didn't give us anything pretty much. When did you guys start the transition out of Oakland? Um, so that was right after the robbery. Uh, that like I said, about two years ago in November now, uh, last November, we got hit down in Oakland off of Hagenberger. We had another location as well. And uh, that's when we knew um, it was time to go for a little bit. Just uh, Oakland was getting out of control at the moment. And so we were searching and we actually had a couple little places pop up. Um, but Canacraft uh, swooped and they had a CO2 lab they weren't using anymore. Um, and they were looking to rent it out or had some space to rent out. And so we came on over, um, knocked that thing out, um, created a little solventless lab, and uh, we've honestly developed a really cool relationship with them. Yeah, um, and that's kind of um, – that relationship has kind of led you, you guys spreading your wings a little bit more south over the past, like, year or so, right? A hundred percent. You know, Canacraft helped provide a lot of the stuff that me and my partners aren't really good at, being HR and accounting, um, different types of logistical things when it comes to distro and regulation. And so basically we came in there. They were, when we first came in there, they had this ABX Live um, line, and that was a CRC line, and they were looking to get out of it. You know, I obviously had some experience in BHO, so um, I went to them and, you know, we made a little try-off. It's like, hey, if we could help you with some BHO, you know, could you help us? with uh, some of the legal things and distro and stuff like that and uh, it's formed into a really cool relationship over there. Hell yeah. I see. I always see, uh, you know, the you guys down in San Diego now and stuff. I'm like, wow. It's like, you know, like this, uh, you, you, you're very much getting around more. Uh, I feel like people, you know, certain brands are statewide, you're connected and stuff like that. But for the most part, I feel like 
uh, people get like pulled into their areas of influence. So to see you guys like from everywhere from the Bay to LA to SD, it's so cool to see like that's kind of a sign of like the normalization of hash and like people being excited about hash is just like you them being excited to see you guys as evidence of that, you know? Uh, it's I'm just grateful to be in this industry for the first part, but to see kind of the expansion of where we've gone and everything, it's been a real blessing. And uh, part of that's been the education. And I go back not just be, um, because of us, but companies like 710 Labs who do so much um, to educate people just on the conversation between what's live resin and live rosin in a state like California, which I consider one of the more well-educated states in the country that I visited, um, it's surprising to me how many times I still have that conversation of what's the difference between BHO and ice water extracts. Basically, for me, I'm grateful for these types of companies that come out there, throw these types of events, and help showcase the quality and help justify um, what we're trying to do here, especially since rosin is a little bit of a more expensive product. You know, uh, the cal- all right, so devil's advocate is there's like 14 farms in California that produce material good enough for all you guys. And there's all these solventless companies now. How, How competitive is it to get that best material? Um, it was in the beginning, um, but you know, you got the trophy shelf. That's helped a little bit to say the least. Um, at the same thing, uh, at the same time, it's the same thing as far as, uh, you know, going out there in the retail market and having some success. It's about customer service, customer experience, you know, furthering that type of relationship. And the same thing with the farms is what can we do to further our relationship with the farm? And I even hate saying the word customer and consumer. I feel like those are dirty words. You know, mm-hmm. I, these are people are my friends and I want to see them succeed in the market. And so it's like, what can we do to build together and find some type of longevity? You know, I don't want to be smoking by myself and then the um, a thousand percent, a thousand percent. Uh, for listeners, uh, the main solventless consistencies we talk about are like our old school bubble hash, uh, rosin, uh, rosin uh, in a more fresh pressed, shiny, cool looking taffy thing that like you can see through and it's pristine and it looks cool. It's probably the pretty like fresh, like really nice fresh pressed rosin is probably the prettiest hash, right? <laughs> I think that's. It's got a nice aesthetic. It's like to that. It. Maybe like I saw some. I saw some like crazy like uh, wedding cake diamonds that were pretty cool too. But I still would like lean on uh, fresh pressed rosin as like the most gorgeous hash. Uh, and then on the other side of the rosin game, we have cold cure, which is uh, it's not as pretty, but it's more shelf stable. So the fresh press, if you don't keep it in the fridge, uh, it like cakes up, it blurs up, it's just, it stops being pretty quick. Uh, this so the cold cure. Uh, is a bit more shelf stable. So for many years, uh, Mark and the team were more associated with Fresh Press and um, exclusively, almost like uh, you know, some R and D runs here and there that you like. Hey, look at this, Jamie. Oh, like, but uh, <laughs> but generally, yeah. But generally speaking, uh, you know, you guys were associated with like really, really nice Fresh Press. So uh, in the past twelve months or so, you know, you guys are starting to dabble more into cold cure and stuff like that. What's you know? Because I know you were pretty, you know militant about this so i'm curious like what's what's where's mark's headspace in this moment as he watches so much of the market transition to cold cure uh it feels like it feels like it's like it went from like a 50 50 or 60 40 split a couple years ago to like 80 20 like you know what i'm saying so what's it like to like fight like be that guy that like leading the 20 uh, the 20 percent like hold on guys (laughs) i love it (laughs) they do Uh, need to keep their freezers okay (laughs) 100 100 i love it honestly for me i um i still think fresh press remains 
um, king for the majority of strains, but I do. I've re- we've realized it's strain dependent more so, and the reason that is is there's some terpenes that are so dominant, like myrcene. Um, you find myrcene in pretty much every single strain. We use that as a safeguard under our prop. Um, I think it's like. I can't remember exactly. Um, prop 65 yeah, warning. Yeah, prop 65, yeah. We use that uh, mercy as our prop 65 warning as our be all catch all of cannabinoids that needs to be in there just because it's what we found has been in every single test of rosin. But sometimes such high concentrations of mercines overshadow less volatile terpenes. And so we find that off-gassing terpenes, which is what you do when you're oxidizing or whipping or cold curing your hash, actually opens up some of these less volatile terpenes and exposes them to the palate and gets rid of some of those undesirables or something that's just more basic what you see. And so I think it's more strain dependent in some cases, but my favorite strain personally is Skittles, and I find that is the best in uh, fresh press through and through. A few different other examples would be Tropic Sorbet, um, and our pog juice. But besides that, you know, we've, we keep an open mind. We're always about trying to further the, um, the hash. And so it's a learning experience. And that's where I kind of feel like the easy ground or the middle ground is with cold cure is if done right. Um, I think it can be utilized really well in some different types of strains, but at the same time, uh, it's almost like a little bit of the CRC hash in some types of ways where if you... And, <laughs> Loaded statement. <laughs> yeah. and, 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 and this is why I'll say that is if people go out there and do some pressing at home or ever get into some home style hash making, they'll know what I'm talking about. But Maytag five star all day, baby. <laughs> That's on. all we know. It, it works. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> if, if you press some full spec um, hash out, it'll come out sometimes brown or a little bit darker, um, have some type of orange hues in it as well. And when you go and cold cure that in the jar, I've seen hash that would um, be undesirable even and stuff we wouldn't even be putting out under a brand. And it gets cold cure and it looks white. And so right there, we're like, wow, like that's um, part that's of That's helpful. I was like, that's helpful. But at the same time, was Marshmallow OG one of those? No, sir. Honestly, <laughs> we didn't. Uh, we ended up not releasing the strain. We put it into some food grade edibles uh, and stuff. Was, was that the original first cold cure you guys released? The uh, marshmallow? Yeah, that was the first one. See, I'm a yeah. creep. It was. That was amazing. <laughs> that, was, that was a good memory. That's what we've uh, come to find with cold cure is like there is, uh, you know, it can be used in some ways that are a little bit almost malicious to the consumer, you know, where uh, you're putting in lower quality hash and you're changing the aesthetic of it to make it representative of a higher quality. And I don't think that, um, personally, I don't think that's Here's right. a fun question. Here's, this is a good one. You know, I can't wait to get your take on this. What percentage of uh, solventless, uh, solventless companies do you believe live by the fire-in, fire-out ethos? <laughs> some. Uh, <laughs> there's some out there. Uh, I feel like the easy way to really tell um, is if you put hash on a nail and burn it, not in an e-rig because you can't really see it, but a transparent uh, quartz nail. And uh, when you put it on the nail, you'll notice when it melts that if it foams up a lot, that's usually indicative of us of biocontaminant or microparticulate or a lower grade full spec hash. And so one thing you'll always notice about quality, uh, call your product and even most community is the way it melts is there's a lot of big bubbles, um, clear dome, full melt is what they used to call it, um, heads. And so these, uh, a lot of bigger bubbles and then it dissipates really quickly. It's not any type of foam. And you'll know what I'm talking about where it's like a multiple stack of small bubbles on itself. Mm-hmm. Stuff. So that's one of the ways for people out there to kind of be able to check hash. But right now, like I said, I think one of the biggest problems in general in cannabis is there's no qualitative scale out there that truly judges cannabis. It's so subjective. 
how loose do you think the definition of six star is right now? And define it for the listener too, just so they can clarify. To clarify, so six star um, was a scale that was originally invented to try to grade the different qualities of hash. Um, originally, it was actually only five stars. Yes, and, a thousand percent. And uh, you know, so many people were using. <laughs> At one point, it was single A, and uh, then it was double A, uh, and then it was triple A. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but, uh, so, you know, so many people were using the five star terminology when the quality may have not been there. That somebody tried to introduce six. And that um, became pretty popular. And at the same time, it got diluted as well because so many people wanted to have their hash be that quality because they knew it was a selling point that they would um, put it under that label even though when it's not. For us, um, something that Cuban Grower and a few different other OGs kind of put out in the past and something we gravitated towards was a scale of 0 to 10. Um, and that would be based off of the waste off of a gram melted. And so if you put a, um, a gram melted and you take out, if you just melted the whole gram and you collect all the waste, the amount of waste will capture a different category of um, quality between zero to 10. So for us- Yeah, it's sick. Like I got to yeah. judge uh, hash the past few years with uh, Cuban Hash Queen. So listening to her talk about going back and like measuring out that stuff. And I'm just saying like, you know, just like, oh, wow, that's fantastic. Yeah. Like, I'm, you know, I'm just hoping the nose knows, but that <laughs> that's something. <laughs> like, and right now, again, when we're talking about trying to find qualitative scales, that's one of the best things that I found to judge the quality of the hash when you just talk about the melt. Mm -hmm. We're not talking, obviously, about the flavor profile. Mm -hmm. um, but Fantastic. We're trying. It's crazy. Like, there was a uh, – last year I saw some six-star with no terps. And it's like <laughs> that's the craziest thing. So one of, this, one of these – and I want to get your take on this too – uh, and then I, I can't forget to ask you about Piatella. So, but let's, uh, but let me let me say this. Uh, um, actually, let's start with the let's start with the uh, the Piatella. So we're in the we're in the midst of a new fad in the game. Like yes. you know, a bunch of heady boys went to Spain this year. Found out I didn't even know. I like so I wrote about it last year. I wrote about Hassan's like cool rolly thing. I didn't know it had a cool name. Like it's on the top of like Leafly seven ten list. It's like nobody told me it had a cool name. I'm so bumped. And then we go. So all the heady boys and me go back to to Spain this March, and then a bunch come back, and it's all the heat. Uh, it's all 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 the hype right now. Um, when can we expect to see your first batch, Mark? <laughs> You know, we got some um, being made right now. I don't know if we're ever going to uh, release it because, I, you know, from the Piatella that I've personally tried, I liked it, but I didn't think it was something I was running home um, to yell about and tell everybody. So I want to put it out there to show everybody that we can't make it. We know what we're talking about. But personally, for me, the reason that I think you're seeing less residual on the nail is that the gland heads are being broken down by the turbines. Turbines are hydrocarbons and they're caustic. And so they'll slowly break down those gland heads, which will make them uh, more easy to vaporize, but doesn't mean they're not there. They didn't get dissolved or taken out. Unlike in rosin where you're trying to basically remove as much gland heads as possible by folding it up in like a nylon or stainless steel mesh and then just squeezing, trying to squeeze the juice out of the gland heads. And so I still think it's a dirtier product. And also you have the potential of producing a terpene that's called hashening. 
hashing the specific uh, pro, um, terpene that's produced during um, more of the old school style extraction processes. And uh, it's a very recognizable taste if you've ever smoked a lot of dry sift or a lot of uh, what they call charas and stuff. has a very recognizable finish. Some um, gravitate towards it. Uh, I don't. And maybe that's just because being under the old Matt Rise and Nicotee camp compared to the Frenchie camp, I was more, I didn't really like that flavor as much. And so... I feel like, like I said, Piatel is a cool aesthetic, and it's something that's awesome to play around with, and uh, I think there's a cool little niche for it, but I think exactly what you said. I think it'll be a fad. Um, it's interesting. I, just, I, I want to see see the same material, like, you know, run by, like, the, I need to see the rosin next to the Piatella. You know what I'm saying? I understand. And I'm sure there'll be strain-specific things, too, where the rosin's bad, and the Piatella maybe is a little better than that one, and all that. You know what I'm saying? But uh, it's just uh, it's gonna be fascinating, and how fast like it's just you know what I mean. We're like two and what we're like you know sixty eight days removed from Spanibus, and it just exploded. Uh, Roger helped a lot for sure. Uh, yeah. He he pushed it. But it's funny to uh, see those people that have been doing it for mad years over in Spain. Like, we've been doing this forever. Why, like, why, what's all this random love? Can we get a tag, yo? Like, what's going <laughs> well, down? <laughs> well, like you said, that there's a lot of rosin companies coming out in the market, and there's a lot of dilution, and so there's a lot of people with the same strains. And so if you can't differentiate yourself over a strain or your quality, trying to change the aesthetics is probably the next best answer for a lot of these people. So I think we're going to see a lot of uh, Piatella coming up in the market in the next few months <laughs> i think well, that that's a given at this point like, I, like oh man do you think uh it's harder you know some one of the things about uh solving this is like it's easier to see the mistakes like that's where like the mistakes come out in solving this more than they do in bho what do you say to that a hundred percent that's why i like fresh press uh it takes us almost four times as long to package fresh press as it does gold care um, we, we use this two different styles of magnification and different styles of lighting and as clean positive pressure rooms uh, that we can make right now. And uh, the reason that is, is with something transparent like that um, and under the magnification of people's phones, any type of microparticulate hair, um, some type of offshoot on the press. It's on Instagram being, immediately. It all sees it. And uh, <laughs> we hear about it immediately. And so it's been a trial and error, especially trying to get from producing a few hundred grams, which is what, you know, the average batch of your um, traditional market person is usually 500 to 1,000 grams and trying to produce multi, multi-thousand gram batches and stuff. Uh, it was a challenge for us to come and tighten those quality control measures and um, uphold the standard. How hard was it just to scale up the packaging early? Like, as you, once you went from, like, you know, you know, you really hit your foot on the grass and the rocket started taking off. Like, well, there must have been a moment you and Joe were sitting there like, how are we going to get this all in the jars, you know? Yeah. Pack, uh, <laughs> till this day, it is still our biggest problem. Packaging is the biggest bottleneck. Um, we're working on some pretty cool technologies to help um, automate some of it and to help. They asked the AI. Like, oh, yeah. Yo, AI. <laughs> no, just like simple things like helping make pucks faster and help clean jars faster and stuff like that. You know, instead of hand cleaning jars, trying to get big washers, you know, Papa's uses something similar and stuff and like big steam washers and shit like that. You know, different types of machineries. We build up our cash flow. We can start t- uh, making it more and more efficient. 
and opening up that bottleneck a little bit. But, I mean, we've been hiring, even in this last two months, we've probably hired uh, around 13, 15 people. Yeah, but part is part of the reason you have to hire so many people is because your folks get scalped because, you know, they've seen the washroom? Uh, uh, honestly, it's mainly uh, – we. It's mainly two things. One, the move up to Santa Rosa was hard for a lot of our people on the okay. East Bay. And so that was a, fair, a building fair. period. But honestly, for us, ever since January, really even in November, uh, the demand for rosin uh, has skyrocketed for us. And uh, we've been struggling to keep up. And so it's really just about expansion, expansion. Right now we're looking at building what we hope to be our final lab in California here. Um, it'll looking to uh, almost quadruple production for us. And mm. So we hope to do that and scale That's packaging okay. as well. Um, it'll be out here in NorCal oh, with cool. Canacraft. Fantastico. Yeah, um, kind of like the last uh, little hurrah for us, just because that's close to the, all the farms and my relationships. Growing up in Santa Rosa, I spent a lot of time in uh, Lake County, Covalo, uh, you know, Southern Humboldt, Garberville area, and Mendocino. So I want us to try to keep those farms al- alive as long as possible. They're at such a logistical disadvantage right now. How much material uh, do you estimate that you guys will run this year? Um, we'll probably this year. Are you three shifts or are you guys two? Uh, right now we do one wash shift. That's, okay. uh, and we do four days a week, 10 hour days. And our guys love the 10 hour days. Okay. Um, but right now we're doing around 1800 to 2000 kilos of, um, frozen material a month, which equates to around about a, a little over a thousand pounds dry. And so over the year, we'll run around 12,000 pounds of dry material minimum. Um, and so I mean, that's all material that's like up to your par, up to you. That's like hunting that so you could run 100,000 pounds if you wanted to. It was just like the, the fight to get the good stuff. A hundred percent. And uh, we're looking at um, alleviating a little bit of that, too. We want to work with some of these special farms and develop these relationships. But we're also going to focus on single source. That's what I was about to say. You got, you know, you've been growing forever. Uh, was how much what percentage right now is single source? Um, right now, and I call Dancing Dog just because of our relationship, um, more of like our single source, mm-hmm, whatever. But mm-hmm. I would say they provide around a third of our, a little over a third of our material. Um, and we're looking at this year also at renting um, some space and doing a little project with Canacraft, and that'll be around three acres of cultivation. And so we're hoping the combination of that um, Dancing Dog and another project we have. Uh, that will be able to increase that number from 30% to around 80%. Word. Do you think that, like, you know, as we talked about a little bit earlier, uh, there's only a finite number of farms that are actually producing uh, elite material for extractors of your caliber. Do you think one of the ways to, like, grade these new faces uh, jumping in the mix is just see if they're able to work with those farms? Because just those farms being willing to release material to a certain person is like proof of that they know what to do with it um or is it just still like I, a cash grab part of the time like, hey yeah you, you pay stupid money for this in the freezer all right go ahead i was about to say uh, unfortunately uh the problem is is and this is something i have to explain to every farm no matter if i release a skittles under their brand or i release zushi or i release sour diesel it all's at the same price really what drives price point is more so branding people want to or rather to pay a little bit more for a trilogy or a super dope or alien labs but if you don't have that branding it doesn't drive price and that's what the problem is is some of these people have amazing material and even have awards but they don't have that proper branding in the socal market and so their prices will remain 
relatively low. And so on, on that account, uh, you know, they, they're not cashing out like they should be. And so they're struggling. And so uh, we're seeing like bigger companies come in and cash is king. If you're not on terms and you're willing to come in and cash somebody out, uh, that talks a lot to any farm. Is the, so- is the SoCal Solvenless consumer uh, as educated as the NorCal consumer at this point? Um, I would say in certain areas. I, San Diego has a very educated scene down there. Um, the problem is, like I said, part of the part of the education right now comes from platforms that are, you know, like I said, there's no qualitative scale. And so people go to these big social media platforms to look to what's quality. And not everybody has that in the best interest on their platform. Some of them are trying to line their own pockets and stuff. So I would say NorCal still probably edges it out a little bit, but... Um, you know, SoCal does, they drive the demand. At the end of the day, when you look at the sales of any rec, mar- uh, rec market brand, the majority of the sales is going to be in Los Angeles, Riverside, Orange County, and San Diego County. And so no matter if they're educated or not, they're the ones that are going to be uh, paying the bills. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, you know, people are going to cater to that. Is there any flavor? Is there any like taste differences between the two, like uh, NorCal and SoCal, or does it, you know, they'll just get whatever they can get their hands on? Um, for sure, you know, one, SoCal's always been the king of the OGs. You know, I always remember... But that doesn't wash. So that's like the worst... True. Like, that's like the worst take up to, of being a rosin company almost, right? Like Trust. the biggest the biggest flavor down south is something you can't make, really. Trust. At, or in a commercially viable way. Yeah, it, it has been... Um, it has been a problem for every extract company, something that we're all searching for. We're doing a lot of work with a, de- a bunch of different growers this year trying to find OGs, um, chems, and stuff in those types What's of What's the number you guys have to hit to consider a commercial environment? I would say three. three? Yeah. yeah, three uh, percent in melt and stuff like that. And again, since the price point isn't really, even with the OG melt, the throughput factor's there, but it's not like you're going to be able to charge exponentially higher and so um it's still that's a tough battle but uh anything within that gassy profile that's why luma's done um so well for everybody is the their uh, lemon limes it's um if i remember right i think it's like sour d on the biker on the key lime pie and so it has a lot of different gassy notes it's not completely that huge og note that everybody wants but it's close enough that uh it satisfies that needs for a lot of people in la is there ever a flavor that you were surprised took off? Like, this wasn't your jam, but you made it, and then it's like, man, this is, look at the sales report. Um, That is a good question. You know, for me... No, Jimmy, I'm a savant. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for me, what, what flavor that I have to say? Honestly, maybe the Mrs. Skittles Lemon Drop. I don't like as much Jackie and style flavors and stuff, and maybe that's just because I've also smoke so much of them i used to when i was growing up i used to be a big fan of like tangy and super lemon haze and you lemon hear this tree. hater out here michelle uh, <laughs> the, I, 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 I used to be a big fan but i'm, I'm not as big uh not as big fan anymore so i think the mrs e lemon drop i was i wouldn't say i was surprised it did well i was just anxious to see because it's such a black and white flavor it's not as a wide of appeal as some of the other you know you go throw skittles out there a papaya that has such a wide appeal that people across the board generally like it but something in the tangies or lemons and stuff it's such a divisive flavor that i was surprised on how well received it was and how fast it went word something uh people don't talk enough about uh how fun was it to win the fucking emerald cup with excuse me how fun was it to win the emerald cup with cookie dough last year 
Oh, man. Uh, oh, yeah. People probably can't see me on this day, but I am a big ginger, and I love good food. And so I'm always looking for good edibles, and uh, we stumbled upon the cookie dough, vegan cookie dough. I murk cosmic cookie dough. I have assaulted many a jar, but please continue. Me too. Uh, it's a problem. But, uh, no, it was awesome to pair up with Cosmic. You know, there's such cool people down yeah. there. Yeah, it's such a cool story too. Like the whole leaving, quitting The Apprentice to start the company, blah, blah, blah. Is man, has, man has some stories for sure, to say the least. And uh, so, it was, yeah, it was honestly awesome to be able to go from just trying the product and I was like, wow, this is great. And I just shot him a little DM on Instagram and I was like, hey, I see your products made with dis would you want to try it with uh, some rosin or solventless? And I heard Joe like invented some like new just on the spot like decarbox tech and was able to like get the amount of percentage of hash you guys like were able to get decarboxylated up like five extra percent or something stupid like that sounds Joe. Yeah, yep. uh, 100%. I don't want to share all of his secret tech, but yeah, Joe, well, just the numbers are yeah, real. The number, no, yeah. no, no tech sharing, but the numbers are real. Yeah, Joe is, uh, again, he's part of the engine. He's the engine that drives Collier. You know, me and Alyssa, we kind of help with the vision and curate the vision. But uh, Joe, he got an engineering degree from the Naval Academy, and he uses that type. They of, don't just give those out at the Naval Academy. Yeah, yeah, you might end up on a submarine. Top of his class. <laughs> top of his class too. Yeah, no. Top Joe, of the class yeah, at the no, Naval Academy. No, Joe. Joe's a beast. What? Joe, he's an animal. Uh, and so he got he was uh, got recruited to be in intelligences um, and everything. He was out at Afcon doing some crazy stuff in like Burkina Faso and stuff. So I don't want to talk too much on him, but uh, <laughs> Joe, you're the man. Joe's you're the, the man. Joe, you're the man. And I I appreciate the hell out of him. And so, uh, yeah, he's really uh, what's helped make Collier uh, happen. You know, he developed a brand new jar. We used a jar that reduced our waste around uh, almost 30% in glass waste. And it also has um, a beveled angle on the inside so the hash won't get stuck in the corner. Um, he also did like a reverse type of threading to create an airtight seal. So he did that. He created an ice pack. He designed this ice pack for us that we put in every jar and stuff. So the types of uh, things he's been able to do have really um, kept us uh, afloat here. I remember uh, there's a lot of drama in hash. So I remember there was a little there was some recent fisticuffs in the world of concentrates. And I remember saying to my buddy, and Joe is Joe's a big stock, like a big stocky dude, like yeah. you know, Joe's a big guy. And uh, I remember saying to somebody, I was like, man, imagine if they had tried that to Joe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably would not have ended well. I'll, I'll, yeah, I might have said it to him. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, he is not the one for sure. Uh, Joe has been there and done that. And uh, it was funny when, well, I guess in a morbid type of way now, but to look back at it. But one of these t uh, times we were getting robbed in Oakland, the security came over. I used to um, be outside with my guys just chopping it up. And he comes out. He's like, hey, guys, we got cars at the gate with guns. Everybody needs to get inside now. And so everybody knows Joe's the guy. And so there's like three different delivery services we're all hanging out with. They all just run into our office and Joe goes and grabs his AR and stuff. And we're all like sitting out there. He's like checking the corner and stuff like that. It was it was a crazy little moment out there. But he's the man. Yeah. Uh, he's full, the man. Full service Joe. G.I. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Joe, yeah. 381. Oh, oh man, <laughs> it's yo! Uh, thank you so much. It's been so much fun uh, chatting with you. Can you let folks know uh, the best way to find you, your product, all that jazz? Where to learn more about Kalia? 
Come on. Uh, yeah, I mean, you can always check me out on Instagram. Follow my little journey on Kalia.mark. Uh, you can also find us at KaliaExtracts.com. We have a little link to our subscription service. We deliver anywhere in the state if you're looking to check out some D2C, of the products. D2C, baby. It's yeah. the future. Come on, a little quality control. The hash is always fresh. Oh, yeah. We got some cool shit coming. Brand new hardware, some pens and shit like that. Uh, stay tuned. It's going to be a good ride. Woo! That was fantastic, Mark. Smoking Bridges, episode five. What a time it was. Special thanks to our sponsors at Embark, uh, D-Tai Gummies, and the Cannabis Media Council. What a gang. What a gang. Uh, and Mark, again, thank you so much. Thank you to the to the whole Kalia team for all the amazing work you guys have been putting in for years. Uh, so deserving of all those trophies. And to you, the listener, thank you again for listening. Uh, we had such a, a great time on episode five, and we're looking forward to the next one. Ray John, okay? This episode is brought to you by our friends at Detai Gummies. I love this gummy. Uh, it's solventless and it tastes like a fruit market in Thailand. Big ups to our homies over at the Cannabis Media Council, working very hard to, to point the compass in the right direction for the mainstream media when it comes to cannabis. God bless them. We appreciate their support, and uh, we, we are excited to share this episode with you. <laughs>